Welcome to the Arrest All Mimics podcast with your host Ben Talon. Hello, welcome to Arrest All Mimics. This is the original thinking and creative innovation podcast by myself, Ben Talon, and Illustration Limited. Fantastic feedback on Misled so far. A huge hit. Uh, I knew she would be a really, really interesting character with a fascinating and, and quite un- unconventional story. Uh, so keep the feedback coming on that. Uh, I knew she'd be uh, a big, a big one with our fans. Um, huge followings on social media in general. Massive part of the contemporary scene at the moment, creating her art and illustration. So it's been a huge buzz for me. Uh, being very new to this podcasting game. Uh, we're getting good. We're getting a good amount of listens. We're getting subscribers. You guys have been brilliant so far, and, and keep the feedback coming. It's been really exciting for me. Um, off the back of releasing a book, this is uh, this is a, again a whole new realm. The whole broadcasting and media stuff. So it's been really, uh, it's been a real, real new experience, and seems to be going okay. People seem to be into it, which is weird. You know what it's like hearing your own voice. It's kind of intimidating. So. You know, the fact that people are connecting with that and a few people have been so kind to say I'm a natural. I'm not sure I'd go that far, but I'm getting by. <laughs> so, we'll keep, so we'll keep that going on. Uh, t- today's guest, let me think, how do I start? Um, everyone remembers, right, being sat in a classroom doing schoolwork on something that you you sort of... Is hate the right word? I think I think hate might be the right word in some cases. It certainly was for me when it came to maths and science and uh, most subjects really, apart from sport, art, and English, which were ironically, or maybe not so ironically, the teachers were. Uh, these were subjects that were taught by teachers who I actually connected with. You know, not necessarily younger teachers, but teachers who had some authenticity with their classroom and would actually think about the way they taught those subjects to engage the, the students. Things that come across as no-brainers now when you when you think about, you know, that, that whole notion of going away and, and actually hating your evenings doing homework. But still, sadly, in today's education system, are real problems because we've got... What's happening is this government is kind of taking their eye off the ball and actually demonising creativity to the point where some schools are getting penalised to push in creative subjects like art, design, uh, drama, which is laughable to me and you. Obviously, listeners to this show are going are gonna to kind of scratch their heads and, and become quite irate. So what happened was I, I heard Nicky Morgan's comment, who, for everyone, everyone who doesn't know, is the education secretary in the government right now. And she actually came out and said that kids who choose humanities or arts subjects are limiting their career options in later life and that kids are making the wrong choices for GCSEs. Who knows what they want to do at 14 years old, right? I don't. I know people who don't know what they want to do at 45 years old, let alone 14. Get with it, like, get real. This is really, really frustrating to me and this isn't me going... Everyone should study art and become an artist. This is actually no. Let's let's get kids enjoying what they're studying and think about that for a minute. I I left you know I left school and went to college with no real idea what I wanted to do. Still just drawing. Realised I wasn't good enough at football. Got to college and met these tutors who saw the sort of raw energy, the the frustrations without direction, and channeled it. Went look, you're drawing these video game characters. You're drawing these sports personalities. So they opened my eyes to the wider spectrum of of how that could be used. And you know, commercial environments got me thinking about mark making. 
how that you know how that fit into the wider world and i fucking loved it i i got off on that so much became friends with these tutors i'm still friends with these tutors and what happened was i didn't then just suddenly put myself in this artistic bubble no i went out and i read new things i watched new things i listened to new music i learned to think for myself how does this art fit into the wider world how can i sell that to people business skills all these things were integrated in me without me even knowing it so now when i get into freelancing you know it's i'm constantly churning out new ideas looking at how my work fits into society into commercial environments i go out there and i tell people that they fucking need my style um forgive my french on this episode i'm quite angry about this um so when nicky morgan came out and talked such bullshit like that and then you find out that the tories are going to have kids um resitting exams at 10 years old that they fail fuck off like Okay, let's calm down a little bit. My old flatmate taught at the Millennium Primary School in Greenwich, and that school is so switched on. Like the ideas that they're they're driving home, um, in the in the methods that they're teaching, are, are so forward thinking, and the kids are so fired up, and they're getting these consistent ninety eight percent success rates across all subjects: English, maths, art, science, because they respect their tutor, they enjoy coming into school. And let me give you an example. Um, Tom had to teach Macbeth to the kids, right? What would have happened to me and you, let's say in the 80s or in the 90s? Textbook, page whatever, page 46, carry on, read, dictate, write notes. Uh, Boring shit for actually what's really enthralling and fascinating subject from one of the greatest writers of our time. So what Tom does is understands that actually these kids are not going to switch on to this unless there's a reason, something they can connect with. So he covers all the tables in cling film, gives them all dry white marker pens, and creates a murder mystery. How cool is that? You go into school, and when that, you know, it's the reason that kids buzz off non, non-uniform days, uh, sports days. It's not that they want to go and do sports or never wear a uniform. It's that they want to enjoy the day and actually get switched on to learning. And that's what happens. So I went to college, I enjoyed my study, and I accelerated like crazy speeds, and it set me up for life. And the point being we're badly missing the ball and tom actually had kids coming to him in floods of tears like because they were you know they were scared of failing these exams immense pressure kids having breakdowns before they even got to secondary school fucking criminal (laughs) but of course we're dealing with people who don't understand that they they need schools now have to have to hit a certain level through offstead of excellence and all this bullshit which is box checking and what's being completely missed is the happiness of the children and actually create free thinking independent people who can think on their feet generate ideas adapt to different environments in a rapidly changing digital world there are positive things as tom's story goes to show things are going on but actually people having to fight tooth and nail to get these things over the line in the education system so I'm looking for some serious feedback on this. If you're a, a teacher, if you're in the education system, if you if you've got a kid and you're worried about actually, you know, are they going to enjoy school? Um, get in touch at Arrest All Mimics on Twitter, arrestallmimics at gmail.com. I want to know how you feel about this and if everyone's as angry as me because, like I said, this isn't me as an artist wanting everyone to study art. No, I just want equal respect for all the subjects, whether it's music, film, science, English. And why are we not fusing these things together? Why are we not crossing over now? Because that's what's happening in the real world. So people coming out of university with degrees but no real clue of how to apply themselves in, in a real-life environment and actually... They're ending up in, you know, no disrespect to workers at Little, but they're ending up in fucking Little when they've got these degrees and master's degrees. So, you know, anyway, my guest, John Newbegin, who is the chairman of Creative England, was kind enough to give me an hour of his time recently in central London. Um, I came across John because I was chatting to 
a parent of a friend who's got a little girl who's approaching one and already they're a little worried about which school to choose because they, they know what's coming and they know what the bullshit that's happening out there so we had a big conversation and the next day uh, I received a, a Facebook post on my wall saying oh just what we were talking about check this out and I find this Guardian article by John Newbegin who's uh, got an OBE he's like, done a lot of work in the creative industries chair of creative England who for anyone who don't know they're, they're a creative organisation who support the arts they work in games, television, film, digital media, right across the arts. Anything from soft investment to direct investment and business mentoring. And John was, you know, basically better articulating my earlier rant on this podcast, saying that academic subjects are not all things for all kids. And Nicky Morgan is so far off the mark that he's, he's kind of criminal. And we need to change the system so that we have people learning life skills rather than just passing exams and that old archaic system. So let's get into it. Let's enough ranting from me this morning. As you can tell, I'm quite fired up. But um, John was a, a fascinating conversation and raised a lot of valid issues and talked about what's wrong, what we need to do to change that, how um, how we can prepare people for not just the creative industries, but actually from creative degrees, taking them into other other industries. And, and it doesn't matter whether you're in finance, in art, in science. These skills will serve you well for the rest of your life, and when the landscape is changing so quick with the fast pace of technology, we uh, we kind of need skills that are not going to be redundant within you know however long it takes for these things to change. So uh, so I met John on Oxford Street, and we caught up in a cafe. So I apologise for any background noise, but um, to get this guy for an hour was a real privilege. Uh, so. Let's get on to it. If you need to get in touch and learn more about Creative England, which I seriously recommend you do if you're in the arts, uh, go check them out, creativeengland.co.uk, and there's lots of information up there, very cool website. Um, And do feed us back on this. I really want to hear from people and get this conversation going more and more. We've just set up a trading company as kind of an investment arm, and we bought a share in crowdfunder crowdfunding platform so that we can do more that's good develop the whole kind of crowdfunding side that's really come along hasn't it the last yeah and particularly particularly with games you know it's crowdfunding is becoming one of the standard ways of raising finance and what and also what we're discovering increasingly is these kind of games businesses they you know they they go to a vc or a bank and they say you know fuck off basically yeah um but if they if they raise a certain amount of money from the crowd they can then pitch up at an institutional investor and say, look, you may not understand what we're doing, but the, yep. the people who are going to buy it do. Um, and then they use that as the kind of lever to get institutional funding. And I mean, funny, so you get a kind of... That's good. So actually yeah. going out and speaking to the people that it's aimed at and then going, look, they exactly. want Exactly. Yeah, you know, so just, which I think that's probably quite an important, quite important yeah. thing, isn't it? Because... It's just that direct direct language then, and it cuts out yeah. probably a lot of. Uh... And also, I mean, you know, in, inevitably, one of these things. Um, so yeah, so so we do a lot of kind of talent development. But we set up this trading company because the intention of that is, when we've got companies that are coming through that are obviously really well run and are going to grow, then we kind of hand them over to the trading company, which is much more straightforward kind of investment yeah. um, to help them grow. Because I mean, you know, the the issue is. Sure, you're aware of this. Is you know, there's any number of startups, but the really tricky thing is, how do you get the three-person startup yeah. that's been fine for 18 months and they've made one project, and then what do they do? And they and it's that sort of second-stage growth that people find really yes. difficult, and that's where people very often need support and a bit of mentoring and and getting plugged into wider networks and 
getting introduced to international markets and all that kind of mm. stuff. Okay. So another, I mean, another thing that we did was um, we set up this joint investment fund with the NHS for it, it's it's really aimed at games companies, but also software businesses for coming up with interesting healthcare solutions. Okay. Uh, and that's things like you know gamifying personal healthcare for people with early stage dementia, so that they don't get so anxious about it working with GPs to help them develop better interfaces with their patients and all that kind of stuff and, and that's going incredibly well so again part of the message is you may think you're in the entertainment business but actually what you're doing has all kinds of potential elsewhere in the economy and health and education mm. and so on and, you know you've got to be thinking about these bigger markets well yeah I mean the industry's tr- changed rapidly to that end hasn't it <coughs> particularly with digital you know revolution it's not too strong totally. a word um, Everything starts to cross over now, which is again, as a person at the core of, you know, began as an illustrator, and now kind of branching in on this uh, writing, all these things that actually cross over now. Um, it's and and they go way wider than that into into other fields. And yeah, so many. I mean, visual so Tell me, tell me about you and, and about the organisation. Well, I'm I'm, a, I'm an illustrator, and um, first three or four years I did freelance illustration pretty much editorial and then it went to sort of working in TV and trailers and things like that then I got signed to Illustration Limited which is who I'm doing this podcast with and they're the biggest illustration agency in the world I believe now and um, but in recent times I brought on my first book um, I've got a copy of you actually I'll give you it afterwards but um, it's a, it was a first person account sort of brutal honesty of starting out not really having a you know post university what's next struggling with all that and then gradually thankfully actually getting a few dream clients and, and managing to do that now full time for seven years it's, it's a very sort of dark humour account of all that because I wanted to write something that wasn't a textbook um, but actually spoke to the people going through that so they can adapt their will to, to my sort of stories that are written yeah. very much with each person in mind you know so that was the thing and then I, I fell in love with the kind of media side of actually there's all this amazing stuff and all these new developments and I wanted to sort of I spoke to Harry, who's a director of our agency. He's been in the industry 30 years now, and, and he sort of said, if you thought about podcasting, I think that'd be a really good medium for your sort of personality. And I never, it not occurred to me, despite listening to a lot. And here we are, it's sort of given me an open book to sort of go out into the arts and not restricted it to the agency, and I'm just sort of falling in love with it. And actually, as someone who's really passionate and a, and a, a big believer in the wider worth of the arts beyond the industry, this is a great opportunity for me to, um, to actually bring that to a wider audience now. And, you know, so I've become the reason I speak to you. I really connected with your your recent pieces for the Guardian because I lived with a, a primary school teacher for a year when I first moved to London. Very young primary school teacher, but very forward thinking in his ideas and then actually focusing on activating each personality within the children, ten and eleven year olds. Um, and the innovative methods that come back to the flat and tell me about what you've been doing um, blew my mind compared to the yeah. way that I was taught. I.e., yeah. there's a textbook, open it, can continue. You know? Yeah, yeah. No one's, that's not activating anyone. It's not getting anyone excited. So you come home and tell me these stories about his teaching Macbeth and sort of wrapped all the tables in clean film, give them all dry white marker pens, and had them doing a murder mystery. And so reading your piece, they, you know, things like that, that actually, they didn't know they'd done their literacy lesson. They said, why, you know, why did we miss it this morning? He didn't, he'd done it. Yeah. They enjoyed it so much, they didn't see yeah. the lesson. And yet these kids are getting, you know, consistent 98% right across the board in all subjects. So no, it's a no-brainer to me because yeah. they're enjoying what they're doing. They're, they're, and then I think anyone knows that when you're enjoying what you're studying, that you accelerate so much more. But why that is so devoid from... The way the curriculum seems to be in terms of the yeah. exam format and and the way that the existing 
way of thinking goes with Ofsted actually. Yeah. He had a lot of trouble sort of Ofsted coming in and telling him that one of the kids was slouching in a seat. I thought we in Victorian times. Is that, yeah. is that sort of, does it really matter? Yeah, and I mean, and I think, well, absolutely. And I think the, you know, the real, the real paradox in all this is that, you know, the education for the poor is punishment. You know, the subject got to be hard. But private school education, the reason why people want to send their kids to private schools in England is because they have a fantastically rich cultural, sporting, or, you know, think, well, hello, you know, what's, what, and, and when, when, the, when the government says things like, uh, you know, they want the kind of the, the private schools or the independent schools, they like to call them, to, to, to work with local authority schools. But I mean, actually, they're pushing the two forms of education in two completely opposed directions. I mean, it is, and without kind of apparently seeing the paradox. Anyway, yeah. I think it's shocking. But I, and I, and I, you know, I agree with you, that whole thing about arts, arts in the curriculum not only has huge value in its own right, but it, in, it increases kids' engagement and attention. I don't know if you saw a series on Channel 4 last year called Don't Stop the Music. No. A guy called James Rhodes, a pianist, persuaded a school in Basildon in Essex to let him come and work in the school kind of an hour or two a week. Primary school, their school budget for music for the year was 200 quid. Yeah. So they're kind of they're doing lessons, making little kind of drums out of yogurt pots. I mean, pathetic. Yeah. And uh, and and he he um, he blagged instruments from people around Basel and started a little kind of class orchestra in with this group of kids. And within a term, their maths, their literacy and numeracy scores were just kind of shooting up because they started getting engaged. Mm. You know, it's, it's not exactly rocket science. No, it's incredible. Not. It's, it's, it's um. As someone who went through, you know, I, mean, I grew up in Keithley outside, just outside Bradford and Leeds originally, small working class town where it wasn't really the given thing to sort of, to, you know, to go to art school or be creative. Not, yeah. not the, the, the vast majority of people would just go straight from school to trades. Um, my parents were quite creative, uh, but never they equally never pressured me, but encouraged only what I showed a natural instinct, you know, to move towards. So when I wanted to draw, they would draw with me and really encourage me to do that. If I didn't feel like doing it, I was under no pressure to do it. So I sort of found my own way and I was, that worked wonders for me. But actually, I could have done well in any subjects at school had I had the motivation to do well, but I didn't. And so uh, English and that were the two things that I did really well in. Um, I loved sport, so I, I thought I could play for Leeds United until I was 16 and realised I was very average at football. So actually, I thought, okay, I better get back to my drawing now. So I did, you know, art, went to art college, but there was no real effort to sort of. There was, you know, the teachers would have you drawing fruit still and just yeah. sort of left you to it. There was nothing. I didn't. And even so, at that point, I almost, you know, sort of knocked me away from doing it. Only at college did I uh, actually go there and suddenly in this huge sort of open factory building, you know, given massive screen prints and jets to wash them down and actually to be in and you mentioned in one of your pieces about sort of you know big open messy spaces and the importance of yeah. that freedom to play and actually that that made a lot of sense too because at uni we didn't have so much of that um, and I, I saw that was a time when I kind of got a little bit more stifled my creative thinking certainly accelerated because it was a really well taught degree but the lack of the space to play in that in that environment actually you know I think it's but again, does this go back to the issue that it's, it's not a tangible thing, it's not something that can be assessed or marked? Well, I think that's right, and, and, and that makes it difficult to integrate into an education system which is so focused on targets and exams and so on. But, I mean, if you, if you look at the thing historically, 
the modern school system started, you know, Foster's Education Act of 1870, and those early schools were, I mean, of course, they're partly about preparation for life, as education should be, but also preparation for work, mm. which, again, education should be partly. But the, but the way, it, you know, those schools were about the discipline of turning up on time doing what you're told, learning your lesson and repeating it. And, you know, the bell goes every 40 minutes, you get up, you go to another room. All that is basically education for a world in which most people are going to be doing repetitive work in a factory or other kind of managed environment. And you look at the world of work now, and that is just so totally inappropriate in every way. And also, it seems we've got to a point where integrating traditional disciplines is now absolutely the core of what's going on in terms of the way everything's working from, from government policy through to the way uh, different work disciplines are working. And you know, Arts and Humanities Research Council did this big research project in, in Brighton a year or two ago, uh, looking at 400 digital media businesses and how they, and how they which ones were, were progressing faster than others and growing faster. And unsurprisingly, what they discovered was that the companies where people from an arts background, people from a technology or science background, and people with a, with the business skills and business acumen, where those three groups of people regarded each other with equal respect, those are the companies that were growing three times faster than the rest. Because if you have the techies running it, you turn up solutions that are very clever but probably not very consumer-friendly or very imaginative. If you have the arts people brilliant but don't necessarily work yeah and if you have the business people running it you don't take risk because you just focus on the bottom line the whole time so we all know that in the real world you have to have these things in balance so it's weird to think that we can have an education system where you don't and for the government to be saying with this eBAC proposal that they're actually effectively going to penalize schools that focus on arts and humanities is not only wicked because that is depriving kids of getting engaged with those means of creative expression that we all have and all want to have, and not just our own expression, but, but understanding other people, being able to understand what other people are talking about. But also it doesn't make any sense economically. And uh, so there's a bit of a kind of rabbit this, but, but um, I mean, two or three things. One is there's, um, there's a world ranking for universities, or the QS survey that comes out every year. Um, which was, you know, Stanford is, the, is the, the top university in the world, followed by Harvard, followed by Cambridge, whatever it is. And this year, for the first time, there's, there's a certain amount of shifting in the rankings because they've realized that the way, they're, the way they're assessing the best universities in the world is too strongly skewed towards scientific and medical research. And they've rebalanced the criteria more in favor of arts and humanities because everybody recognizes that that is a crucial part not just of people having a good life, but of countries having successful economies. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, we live in a country where I think I'm right in thinking that over 5% of the, the job, you know, the jobs in this country are, are in the creative industries. It's more like 8%, yeah. Is it 8%? Wow. So, so, what, so what do you think the issue is? And why do you think this is not, this is not hitting home with the current government? Well, I, well, I, think I, it's a, it's a, I mean, I think it is genuinely a paradox. And, of course, it's not just here. It's happening in other parts of the world as well. That uh, there's a recognition that if you're going to succeed, you have to have a high-skill economy. If you're going to have a high-skill economy, clearly numeracy and literacy are core to it. So we've got locked into this system where 
everybody's got to be doing maths and and a, and a language and uh, and it's preparing people for a notional jobs market which in a way doesn't really kind of exist anymore in, in, in that sense but it's it's like it's a it's a failed model and the more it fails the more politicians are clinging to the wreckage as it sinks yeah. and saying you know we've got to be tougher with the exams we've got to make the subjects harder we've got to do you know we've got to make it more hours we've got to give three-year-olds homework mm. you know which is I mean it, it is clinging tighter and tighter to a sinking ship rather than saying the way maybe the way we're running the education system is wrong and we need to rethink it mm. and we need to open it up to allow kids to express themselves more to to work collaboratively because again this thing one of the things you know so many employers say the problem we, you know people turning up they got all the GCSEs they got the A levels but they don't have the social skills to work as part of a team that's it well bingo that's because in school if you did your homework as part of a social team you'd be accused of cheating you know and in school everything is about individual competition with the people sitting next to you whereas in the world of work success is about learning to work with other people to learn from them yeah. And for them to learn from you, so you know, how are we preparing kids for that 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 way of working? Let alone all the interactions they're going to conduct as citizens and human beings. You know? yeah. Well, this is it. I mean, I I got a graphic design, BTEC, an illustration degree, a, a, a degree which got far too often got the term Mickey Mouse degree thrown around there, yeah. and um, and I understand why because uh, quite a high percentage of people don't actually go on to do anything with it. But that's not the point. My background, you know, I was I always grew up knocking around with a lot of lads in local areas because we've got a lot of sort of estates. I wasn't on one of them, but I was sort of in the middle of three. So I had a lot of quite, don't know what the right word is, quite rough around the edges, a lot of, lot of friends. But actually, it taught me to to speak, you know, with a, a wide range of people and get along with a lot of varying personalities, um, which gave me, of course, I wasn't understanding it as, as such at the time, but um, I, was, I was learning, you know, people skills there early on. And then, um, then as we got sort of into our teams, sport, art, video games, all these things that you, you just do because you enjoy them were actually facilitating the development of that and then of course you got I went to yeah. art college and luckily for me found good tutors who could harness all that energy and all that kind of yeah. raw material and actually start to open my eyes to you know to what's gone on in the past and what yeah. done with it. Anyway, um, that worked very well for me and now I, I, it's very much at the core of why I've been able to succeed as a freelancer with no real, in, you know, I've never had any sort of financial support, any money putting in but I've learned to sort of beg, steal, borrow and actually get along with a wider range of people and embrace that and collaborate and that's the very reason I'm able to sit here and talk to you today because I'm not trained in any kind of audio, broadcasting, media beyond illustration but I've got a deep-rooted love for it and a willingness to learn and I've been fortunate enough to meet the people since coming to London to make it happen yeah. and they're the things that sadly are lacking when someone comes out, like you say, with a, with a qualification but actually they've never been challenged or put in a real-world situation and I think that's sadly missing from uh... yeah and also you know there's there's I think I mean, when I said a moment ago excuse me the education system of course is about preparing people for the labour market and, and from a government's point of view it's making sure that we've got skills in the economy that the economy needs of course that's kind of common sense but also education is about preparing people for adult life to be human beings who it doesn't mean you know people having a love of music at school doesn't mean that they have to become musicians or having a love of filmmaking at school means they have to become filmmakers that's what they do as people for their own enrichment their own enjoyment and 
so there's that whole kind of dimension of preparing people for life. And you know, one of the things that that uh, drives me a little bit mad is there's this kind of focus on. Some people say, well, we need to have more arts education because Britain's very good at arts and we need more artists. Well, bugger that. I mean, actually, the point is you don't have great art unless you have audiences that are really demanding. Mm. You know, we have great comedy in this country because because there's an audience that really wants good comedy yeah. and is cruel to people who don't produce it. And, you can, you know, there's, you, you don't have a... You, if you create a world-class orchestra but you don't have... Um, you know, a, an, an audience for world-class music they'll stop playing world-class music of there's course. no incentive so the, the, these things kind of go together and 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 having it having an audience that's engaged in the arts and knows what they want doesn't mean that they all have to become creative people but it means that they all enjoy other people's creativity and and it enriches their lives mm. I mean that's a, it's this thing this balance between between what we want to know and learn and be uh, exposed to as human beings and what we need to know and learn be exposed to to be uh, you know successful in our yeah. working lives absolutely I mean um, it's not like you say you can't be so literal as to, to think you know um, I think sometimes when I when I sort of bang the drum about this that people think you know I'm sort of saying everyone should go and study for art to be artists again it's no that's not the case at that's all that's right and just very um you know, having struggled motivationally throughout school and then found something that actually lit a fire under me and I, and I loved with a passion to the point of spending 14 hour days before I was even getting commissioned work just because I loved it so much. You know, I know what that feels like, so I, won't, I don't care what subjects I'm studying, but if there's a way that they can feel that and be um, lit up as a, as a, as a kid, then, then brilliant. The same teacher I was talking about, he was the other girl struggling with, uh, with writing exercises and just couldn't really get going. and. He sort of sat down with her and you know asked questions about what she did when she went home, what was you know, all all the things in her life. Established that she was quite into uh, Minecraft video game, and um, so he said, "Well, have you thought about writing in the, in the person, you know, the persona of your video game character?" She never thought she would be allowed, never thought she could have done. And at the moment, she came back with a stack of really good writing like that because it's a simple little shift in thinking um, to actually go, "Well, it's the, you know, the most subtle defection, and actually that's then that's changed everything." Um, but like you say, if everything's from a, from a textbook, then uh, who's, who's going to take risks and who's going to yeah. actually? You know, he's, he's actually gone to teach in Bangkok now. And I was chatting to him the other day. It's completely different, I believe, the education. I want to chat to him actually for this show on the same kind of thread. But he said that you know it's very much about inherent skills that actually, no matter how much things transform in terms of the digital market or the jobs market, those life skills will always remain there, mm. the same that can be applied then to. Yeah. And you know, one of the one of the strange ironies of the world. I think I I do, I do a lot of work in in East Asia. I'm going to be in, in Hong Kong next week, for example. And um, and in and in East Asia, those economies are all booming. But in, in all those countries, particularly in China, they look to the UK to say what we like about your education system, what we like about your society is there's this open, creative, critical, freewheeling feel to it. And they're trying to create their education systems to look more like what they imagine ours is. <laughs> Meanwhile, here, everyone's like, oh, my God, we must go to Korea and China and see how they're doing things. And that is, you know, making oh, the kids gosh. get up at six in the morning and do <laughs> maths for 12 hours a day. You know, well, it's, it is really bonkers. And uh, I think David Putnam, uh, Lord Putnam, uh, was always very fond of saying, 
you know, if a, if a Victorian doctor had gone into a modern hospital, they wouldn't have a clue about what to do, where to begin, what was going on. If a Victorian school teacher went into many modern schools, they'd know exactly what to do. And that is a statement of the fact that the, the thinking within... I mean, there's a huge amount of creative thinking going on in schools, as you said from your friend, uh, and there's a lot of brilliant teaching, but too much of it happens despite the system rather than yes. because of the system. They're very and, much against, and it, against it. it it's a, there's a guy called Ian Livingstone, who's a sort of big granddaddy of the British games industry in a way. Um, uh, Lara Croft is one of his many creations. And he at the moment is um, trying to open a, a free school in West London uh, and making it a free school because he thinks he can construct a curriculum which is based entirely around gaming and, and, and game methodology where you know you have to you have to achieve a certain a certain score in one level before you move up to the next level it lends itself naturally to that sort of That's competitive really element and his thinking and I'm sure he's right is that all those particularly disaffected teenage boys who are completely hacked off with school and bored by it will be engaged in what he's got to offer because He's meeting them at a point where they're interested and using their competitive skills and their creative talent and their interests to enable them to find out more about the world. And I think you, there are so many easy wins in this area uh, and yet the people in charge of policy and the people who set out the rules for how Ofsted judges a school seem to find it incredibly difficult to embrace them. And you know, I, I don't think it means that um, that all the kind of ministers and, and officials in part for education are kind of, you know, wicked, miserable, grad-line people at all. It just seems like they're kind of scared of taking the leap into this different way of looking at how we should be constructing our education system and how it could be integrating with people's lives much more effectively than it is at the moment. Yeah. I mean, easy thing to say from outside. Of course, it's massively difficult to turn around an education system because if you're, you know, if you've got kids who are going to be starting school in three or four years, and you say, "Oh, you know, I, I really like schools to be different." If you've got kids that are in the middle of the school system, you think, "Hang on a minute! If they're going to start turning everything upside down, mm. who's going to suffer? It's going to be my kid." And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so difficult to turn this sort of huge super tanker education system around in an orderly fashion but uh, I think we're, we're doing ourselves and the next generation a terrible disservice by by banging on endlessly about exams and targets and league tables and yes. Ofsted and kids slouching and not wearing ties what has wearing a tie to school got to do with anything Ridiculous. I mean nobody in the world wears ties anymore except second hand car salesmen <laughs> you know we got enough of them already <laughs> that's very true it's, um, it's interesting you say that about the um, exams and all the, the sort of formulaic method within it but I mean I, I lecture at several universities just one off days and go and do workshops and things and uh, one of the worrying things I've come across uh, yeah, and I know for a fact about naming names from several tutors is that uh, some universities, because they're under so much pressure to fill places on courses, with, given that you know, I suppose students are essentially customers now with the tuition fees, is that uh, some have abandoned the, the interview process, which I think is criminal because not only does that undervalue the, the further education tutors who've worked hard 
to raise that student to a level where they might be accepted on a university course. But what if that person's not meant to go down a, a, a creative route and actually they need to find out that they're not good enough to go and find out what they should be doing? I think that's uh, moral. You know, and I know for a fact they've sort of got real moral dilemmas on their hands now, some of these tutors, because to go against that, then they're putting their job on the line. Yeah. Um, but to, to look those tutors in the eye and let them on the course without even so much as an interview is, is wrong, you yes. know, and, and um, I think that's a dangerous thing. Uh, well, I, I think that's right, and I, but I think, again, look, it's, it's this balance between, you know, what's our education for, and, and of course, if you're going to university now and you're clocking up massive debts, one of the things that you want your education to be about is the guarantee of getting a good job at the end of it. Mm-hmm. So, People are signing up for uh, for arts or media studies courses. You said, you know, and of course there are not enough jobs out there to absorb all the people who are interested in it. So, but but what are the, what are the skills that you get out of that? And the uh, Dr. Crossick, Jeff Crossick, who used to be the vice chancellor at London University, he always used to say, "How do you run a university when we're we're educating young people?" Which have not yet been invented, and and the answer is you is not about teaching them skills, but it's teaching them the ability to think creatively, to think laterally, yes. to learn, to learn from each other, to exchange ideas, to abandon old ideas and embrace new ideas. All those kind of skills, which are general skills, um, and, and and again, that's what you can get out of a, an arts education. And people often say, you know. of university graduates in this country say they'd like to work in the creative industries and the creative industries account for 8-9% of the economy so it cannot absorb all those people but does that mean that they shouldn't be doing those courses and they should be doing you know business studies or something I don't think it does at all because because those skills are things that will enable them to be creative and to yeah. move through all kinds of different working situations and social situations in their lives. Of course, so that's I mean, a huge I, value. I was chatting to a friend who actually works as, a, as a, everything from a compare to a fire breather. To, he was on the Olympic torch carrying team in the, um, 2012, and he, um, he, you know, was very much said that coming from uh, quite a small town. Uh, just outside Preston, it was essential for him to go to university and escape, uh, not escape that, but actually go and be with all these people from new places and new ideas and new surroundings and um, like you said, I think arts courses teach to do that and you can't be so literal as to think, well actually, you know, it's not going straight into a job from it, well no, it's never not about that, it's about yeah. growing as a human being. Um, and also I think from a, from a social perspective, I, um, I've done on and off, I've done youth work have you? Yeah, I'm an ex-youth worker too. Yeah, I read up on yeah, I spotted that. I was going to ask you about that because, again, going back to being from a working class town, I'm close friends now, sort of musicians and working various things. But from I mean, a lot rougher areas than I'm from, from sort of North London estates, growing up at a time when it was really kind of a bit dodgy. um, And it's very much been a way to actually find some belonging and uh, some purpose and, and. and move away from that, and they were guided down a, a route that you know allowed them not to get caught, too caught up in that. And again, I, I think it's a dangerous thing to, um, if you know, if we're dissuading people from discovering that, where does, and then and then going, uh, well, actually, we need to crack down on gang culture. It's like, well, no, 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 you can't. You, again, it's yeah. very naively treating the end result, but 
I would hazard a guess that if a percentage of those people who are getting caught up in whether it's gang trouble, petty crime or anything, they've been shown something else early on that actually they were probably doing anyway for pleasure before they met the wrong people or whatever. Or, yeah. I think the, the social worth for people, just for people's happiness and, and you know, escaping the, the, such a way of but life. Do you know, like, do you know um, here's a, a little story. Uh, just when we were starting Creative England, we inherited a film project that was already rolling in Birmingham. We put quite a lot of money into it. Uh, a very, very uh, talented director who's worked in film and opera and all kinds of art forms, Penny Woolcock, wanted to make a film about two gangs in Handsworth in Birmingham who'd been busily killing each other. And um, she she got the two gang leaders to start talking to each other. I mean, to, to cut a very long story short, both these gangs kind of wound up and the people who were central to them have become sort of effectively social entrepreneurs. <laughs> and, and because they've got all that kind of energy and talent and charisma, uh, but they're now doing productive things in the community, the power is enormous. And we had one of our Creative England events. Uh, we asked one of, the, one of the central people who'd been involved in the film, a guy called Dylan, to come and talk. And... Um, Vince Cable, who was then the business secretary, was there in the audience. And so Dylan does his little talk. And then at the end, he looked at Vince Cable and he said, there's something I'd like to say to you. The government has put £300 million, whatever it was, into Handsworth in the last 10 years to try and improve the neighbourhood. And it hasn't achieved diddly squat. So these guys put a million pounds into making a film and it's totally transformed the community. That's the power of the arts. I thought, wow. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, that is true. You know, yeah. it, and it, it really does work like that. And we forget that it's these kind of little kind of catalytic things that that can change people's perceptions. And I, you know, on, on another tack, with you being an ex youth worker, it's funny, I was talking to someone the other day who used to work on an adventure playground. There's very few of them left anymore. But, I mean, those playgrounds... One of the premises of a lot of those playgrounds is, you know, little boys like to smash things up and set fire to them, you know. And if you've got, if you've got a playground where you can do that, that's great, and it kind of gets it out of them. If you don't, then there is a greater likelihood that they're going to start smashing things up and yeah. burning things that they ought not to be smashing up and burning, like shops in a high street, whatever. Mm. And... You know, this idea that that you clamp down on that kind of activity, which is about, it's dangerous, uh, but if you try and pretend it doesn't exist and you lock it down like a pressure cooker, it will find some way of mm -hmm. expressing itself. And a lot of thinking in the arts is dangerous because by definition, creative thinking is is about jumping into a new way of looking at the world it's disruptive and the more we have a society where we say we ought not to be we, ought, we, we want to have innovation but we don't want to have disruption innovation grows out of disruption of course you it does. cannot disentangle the two and the more you try to the more you finish up with a society with tensions and pressures and inequalities that in the end will start to tear it apart and that's the you know, the danger of the road that so much policy is going down at the moment is it seems to me it is not accepting that one simple obvious fact which is that you know everybody likes to be naughty occasionally <laughs> we've all got excess energy growing up and I have no doubt that if I'd um, if I'd not been sort of steered into not just the arts but sport and just, just some belongings and doing things that were proactive and actually channeling that energy in the right way then I, maybe I, you know, I could quite easily have gone down the wrong path 
as we, I mean, we all could, you know. It's like, what's your, what's your own background? So, what, 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 how did you get, have you always been creative yourself? Or? Well, I've always been, I mean, I worked as an illustrator very briefly, funnily okay. enough, you said you were an illustrator. Um, I've always been, yeah, I've always enjoyed making things. Uh, I've always enjoyed working with wood and drawing, stuff like that, and writing. Mm. But, um, and I've done lots of different things. I've worked in government and worked in for political parties, worked in the film industry, worked for Channel 4 and so on. But um, for me, in a way, one of the starting points was pretty much the first job I had out of university was running a big youth club in Stockwell. And there were just so many fantastically talented kids, so much energy. Uh, and some of it being channeled into very productive things, some of it being channeled into very destructive things. And obvious thing to say but right from that moment that business of how do you enable people to connect with their own creativity and find ways of expressing it which gives satisfaction to them and also enables them to communicate with other people rather than kind of damaging other people or confusing other people that seems to me hugely important and it's something that we don't pay enough attention to in our society and we're all losers because of that, because there are so many kids whose creativity is frustrated, and in the end, they sort of give up. And, uh, and, and not everybody, but a lot of people do kind of give up and, and either kind of shut themselves down a bit or find uh, ways of expression which simply don't satisfy them so much. And, and, and all the evidence is if you give people the space and permission to sometimes make fools of themselves, to try something new, to take a risk. People like that, and you know, we don't do that enough. And I, and I think you know, we've got the resources and the understanding in this society to be able to do that much more effectively. So that's always been a bit of a kind of guiding principle for me, if you like, mm. in whatever I've done. And, and it just goes on proving itself every single day of the week, as far as I can see. You know, you give people opportunities on the whole, they will take them. Yes. Um, and, and of course, it's not 100% success rate. Of course it isn't. And, and, and I think it's very dangerous to say to people, if you, you know, the, 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 the basic premise of so many Hollywood movies, if you believe in something enough, it's going to happen. If you believe you're going to be, a, you're going to win Britain's Got Talent, you will. Well, bullshit, you won't. No. Because if you haven't got talent, you're not going to win Britain's Got Talent. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe there's other ways of doing it as well as having talent. But anyway, it, but that, that doesn't mean it's not worth trying. It doesn't mm. mean because you can gain for yourself out of those experiences, even when they finish in what other people would call a failure. Yeah. You don't have to interpret it in those ways, you know. Yeah, and it's yeah, yeah, and often that will guide you somewhere along the way to something you maybe never considered, but activates you as a human being. Yeah, you know, it might not be that big sort of you know end dream. It probably is a very small percentage of people, but that's not the point. So it's it's about that sense of belonging. I worked. I did a campaign. I rounded up graphic designers and photographers that I would become friends with, and we did a campaign. Have you heard of Calm Charity? Yeah, it, it's the sort of only. They, they, they work with males and females, but they dedicate the marketing to males because it's ratios three to one for male suicides over um, females. And I found that really sad fact. So I'd, you know, yeah. I'd, I'd set up a campaign that basically focused on the, on the values of belonging in the arts and, and creativity. And we, we, we interviewed and, and profiled people um, 
anyone from just someone who's into a certain band and has found a way to connect with other like-minded people right the way to someone who's gone on to do that as a professional and made a career from it and I just found it a very uh, very relevant thing you know and we turned up some of the stories from people that we interviewed right from sort of famous people down to just you know people doing it for the love of it it's just all everything pointed in exactly the same di- direction of, as what you just said you know, yeah. in, in that you know, we, we talked to Steve Merchant uh, and he was talking about the ownership it's given him over his flaws, being a tall, kind of geeky-looking guy. And, you know, he's, yeah. he's owned that through his comedy and actually found a way to, to write about that and actually provide his television. And like you said about Britain being a, a nation that loves comedy and, and needs comedy, look at, you know, The Office and Extras and all those kind of painfully awkward comedies that's come from real painfully awkward experiences. Yeah. But what if you've not found that? And, he, you know, and he'd suddenly just left with the awkwardness. Yeah. You know, it's just the... It made total sense to me anyway, so we just we sort of did it off our own backs and put together like a charity album and got the support of a lot of creative people, which was a wonderful experience. Wow! Uh, and it just, what a great thing to have done. I it just yeah I, I I don't know I just when I, once I found out those statistics it made me quite sad because I've always been quite a happy person I think just because I've always had this you know and yeah. such belonging to it that no days dull. Interesting that you say you know the male suicide rate is three times the female suicide rate and. Uh, without getting kind of over um, uh, sort of mawkish about it, there's um, there's a there's a there's a lot of things going on not just in the, in the UK but at a kind of global level. The, the greater equality of women has got to be a great thing, but actually the dominance of men in so many societies is being challenged in all kinds of ways now. And one of the ways that the dominance of men has always kind of secured itself in most societies is through the way the labour market works. And now we're moving into a time when globally there's a huge crisis in the labour market because there's not massive growth in manufacturing because of automation, and that's true of almost every labour market in the world. There's there's not huge growth in in retail. There's still growth in retail and services, but you know you go into a supermarket, you go into a bank, you're not dealing with a person anymore. You're dealing with machines. And in, in, in agriculture, that automation of agriculture means that there's fewer jobs there. And the the United Nations say. One of their the UNDP arguments is if we don't create something like 600 million jobs globally in the next 10 years, there's going to be a huge problem because already there are millions of what they call spare boys knocking around, and you know, and if they haven't got anything to do and they haven't got anything to anchor their lives and they haven't got anything to kind of justify their lives, uh, then then there is a and 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 if they haven't. If they haven't got the traditional sense of you know we are the men uh, and and the women are second best to us. I mean, let's not get into any kind of complicated philosophical discussion about some of the things that are going on in some regions of the world about gender inequality at the moment. But you know there is a big crisis coming for men, and what do men do uh, in a society where uh, where the kind of traditional uh, aspects of manhood of being the provider being the defender, uh, whatever, these things don't kind of mean anything anymore. And uh, in, in a, in a labour market where, where those traditional physical strengths and skills and all the rest of it don't count for anything, I mean, there's, a, there's a huge identity crisis coming for, for men, well, it's already here. Yeah, it is, I completely agree, yeah. And that, that these are the, some of the things that Cam deals with, you know, yeah. discussing that, that, that transformation. So, um, so, where, so where's the best place for people to learn about Creative England? 
on our website. On our website. Yeah. And there's information about. Yeah, and I, it's a very there's there's a if you go to the website, uh, there's lots and lots and lots of little windows. Behind each window, there's a story. That's very much how we're trying to structure it. So we act as an intermediary, if you like, between money and networks and little companies, uh, helping them to improve their skills. I mean, we say we try and connect talented, creative people with money, with markets, and with networks. They're the three things that people need. And one of the reasons why we focus all my work outside London is it is much more difficult to connect to money, to markets, and to networks if you're outside London than if you're inside London. And the again, talk about lost opportunities, one of the things that is so obvious in the work we do, there are talented, creative people everywhere. But depending on where they are, they have a greater or lesser opportunity to be able to express that creativity in a way that gives them satisfaction and helps build the economy. So that's one of the things that's what we're trying to do, to equalize that playing field a little bit. But yeah, our website, I think it's a, it's a good website and it gives you a lot of information about what we do. Superb, that's really cool. And, um, and so the, the last thing I always ask my guests, it's a little, it's a little section at the end called the Shark in the Tank. And it's, uh, it's my favorite piece of art, Damien Hurst piece. And I, yeah. ask, um, I ask the person to name, so it could be an all time thing, a love or a, or, a, or a dislike of just a creative anything, whether it's a theme, anything from an album to a poster to a film, just something that inspires you or, or, or really gets you go. Just it could be right now or, or uh, an all time thing. Well, okay, this uh, where to start? There are so many <laughs> movies, bits of music, theatrical productions, books, but actually, I'll tell you something which I will never forget completely blew my mind was the first time I went to see an authentic Chinese circus. Okay. <laughs> seeing, seeing the skills and talent of those performers was just breathtaking. It, it brought tears to my eyes. I thought, how can human beings do that? Just fantastic. Yeah. Um, so if I, if that, that was my kind of, not quite a shark in tank moment, but, but <laughs> no, more, a, good more, a, more a kind of man on trapeze moment. We've had a yeah. completely, I mean, the, the, the answers I get to that question are phenomenal sometimes. They've all been really, really interesting. And, uh, I, I've been, I saw the Chinese State Circus in Preston of all places when, um, when I was at university there. And it's the same, it's the same, yeah. the same thing, it's just jaw-dropping. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It really is. Well, I really appreciate your time. And, uh, yeah. Well, very nice to meet really, you, uh, really Yeah, and I think what you're doing is great. Yeah, thank so you. good luck. Yeah. <laughs> I have to admit, it was kind of humbling to spend an hour with a guy who's got an OBE, but actually to sit down and find out that this man is, is such a lovely individual and had so much sense to talk. You know, it's not... We're not turning up with pitchforks and... and torches here this is not the arab spring this is um this is common sense trying to prevail and actually adapt education to, to meet the world that we exist in on an everyday basis now and try and bridge that divide i found it fascinating that john talked about uh, it being the sort of last the last garrison clinging to the last dregs of the old education system had a you know fighting for it more than ever and you know i hope we break through soon because it's this really needs looking at and it's a, it's a serious issue and we're creating robots and i really think it's something that has to be addressed with a, with urgency uh, there is there's a little if you look on the creative england website there's actually a little there's a little bit in the about section and one of the sort of values 
of Creative England is to build the right climate for the creative industries to thrive. And I found that particularly apt because it all starts in education and, and it's hard to break what you've been taught, right? We all know that when something gets coached out of you or you're taught a certain method, whether it's grammar or a certain way of writing, it's kind of hard to, to break that and, and generate your own ideas. So I think it has to be an open environment where people can exist and find their personalities and connect with something that means something to them. And for, and maybe we you know maybe we need to look at happiness as a currency. You know, everything's about the fucking economy with this government and to the to the abandonment of all else. Uh, I'm a little worried by it all, I have to admit. I'm also really encouraged when I meet people like John who are fighting hard to, to change the way we think and see this. So get behind it. You know, work together. I, I want to do a lot more on this. I've got more people lined up that I want to talk to. I want to produce written documents and actually try to, I guess, educate the government without sounding patronising. I want to put down, you know, results, evidence-based things, accounts of people working as teachers, accounts of students, accounts of people who've gone on to be successful, people who've gone on to fail, look at why, and look at how we as creatives can actually influence that and, and start to, to show that, you know, wait a minute, there's more to this. This is not just pissing around with a pencil. This is, um, you know, this is valuable stuff for our society. Over you know, 8% of the UK job market, creative industries, and yet, here we are. Anyway, I've said my piece. Uh, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with John. As ever, hit us up on the Twitter at ArrestAllMimics. Email is ArrestAllMimics at gmail.com. Get in touch. As ever, guest suggestions, welcome. Projects, let us know what you're doing. If you want to come on the show, get in touch. Um, We'll take a look. And if it's something that we think our audience want want to hear, then we'll do it. Cheers, guys. You've been listening to Arrestal Mimics.